We are not rejected. We are accepted. We are not orphaned. We are adopted. We are not unseen. We are known. We are not fearful. We are courageous. We are not deficient. We are satisfied. We are not condemned. We are forgiven. We are not uncertain. We are secure. We are not perfect. We are victorious. We are not in bondage. We are redeemed. We are not aimless. We are purposed. We are made in His image. And that redefines everything. Well, good morning, church family. I'm Barrett Bowden, uh, lead pastor here, and I just want to add uh, my welcome. Thank you so much for joining us as we uh, continue in heartache in ways uh, during this time of uh, the pandemic and our crisis in our community, country, and world, and we're not together physically. I just want to remind you uh, how grateful I am that you've cho- chosen to make that choice uh, to join us for worship in this way. Uh, and I just want to pray for you right now as uh, we continue in our time of worship together that God might uh, reveal himself to you in a special way today and remind you of his love for you. So Father, we come this morning uh, just wanting to thank you so much for who you are, for what you have done for us. We wanna thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And this is love, not that we have loved you, but that you have loved us. And you gave your son for the propitiation, for the forgiveness of our sin. And Lord, we wanna just come to you today to just rest and rejoice in your love. God, we want to thank you so much um, for the hope that we have in you. And God, I just pray today uh, that in some way, by your Holy Spirit and your living word, that you would lead us deeper in relationship with you. And in doing so, that you might lead us to greater hope. Thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We are in the middle of a series called We Are, and it's really We Are and then a big blank. Uh, And the reason is because throughout this summer season, throughout this current series, uh, our desire is to lead you to God's Word week after week after week and to help you build uh, your identity upon Jesus Christ, upon God. We are all made uh, looking for a sense of self, and the reality is we're made uh, to find our sense of self in relationship with God. One of our core values here at our church is gospel centrality. And gospel centrality, we describe as this, as an identity that is rooted in the grace of Jesus, realizing sufficient satisfaction, security, and purpose in Him. An identity that is rooted in the grace of Jesus, realizing sufficient satisfaction, security, and purpose in Him. 
One of our hearts here as a church, for everyone who calls our church home and for those who are maybe visiting even to this day and we welcome you, is for you to be a gospel-centered person, to learn to root your own identity in the grace of Jesus and to realize that in Jesus there is sufficient satisfaction, there is sufficient security, and there is sufficient purpose in Him. For you to be rooted, your identity be, to be rooted in Him. So what we've been doing throughout this series is actually we've been trying to answer this question, um, who am I, right? Week after week after week, uh, we've been uh, trying to uh, go to the Bible to understand who we are. And Colossians describes for us here this verse, chapter 3, verse 10, having put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Colossians describes for us that one of the things that God is doing in our lives presently, He is working to restore us into the image of God. He's working to restore our identity. So week after week after week, what we're doing is going to God's Word to understand who we are as God describes us to be in Him. Last week, uh, we looked at chosen, and this week, our theme is this. We are loved. We're going to be going back to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as we talk about this theme today, but the the theme for the day, the identity piece that we're going to be filling out uh, for the rest of this teaching time is we are loved. We are loved. Ephesians chapter 1. I know um, as you guys are turning there, if you haven't already gotten there, but I'll just say, you know, being loved and being unconditionally loved is one of the most basic needs of all humanity. I know right now, know you, because I know what God's Word says about you, I know how you were created, I know myself. But your desire and yes, your need to be unconditionally loved is one of the greatest needs in your heart and in your life. Everyone longs to be loved. Everyone. You long to be loved. I know you do. (laughs) I know I do. Um, And in our popular culture, love is almost celebrated um, too much, but the answers for how to find love are almost, no, they are too little. And this morning, I want to take you to the Scripture because I want to help you remember that your desire to be loved is a desire that was given to you by God. And it was a desire that was given to you that might lead you to God and ultimately be satisfied in your heart and life by God. And He has made a way in Jesus for you to know His love now and forever and never to have to search somewhere else for love, but to know that He loves you and that is all you need. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, if you've got your Bibles, and um, 
I'll just reread the passage that we've been reading over these last few weeks. Start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. We looked at that phrase two weeks ago. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, this is what we discussed last week, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now look at this here in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In love. I want you to circle that phrase this morning, if you would. Uh, If you're willing to write in your Bible, you can circle it in your Bible, or if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you uh, to take notes uh, as we study God's Word together uh, week after week. But the phrase that I want to focus on here is this phrase, this small little phrase, in love. Because one of the things that Paul wants us to understand, that God wants us to understand, is that He loves us. 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 In fact, uh, one of the phrases that you can just write down is not only we are loved, but maybe personalize it. God loves me. God loves me. This is one of the most amazing realities in all of the Bible. Um, there's a song that is popular, probably not as current, but it's popular that I used to have a really hard time singing. A worship song. And it went, I'm not a good singer, but I'll try, okay? So y'all don't make fun of me. He goes, He loves us, oh how He loves us, oh how He loves us, oh how He loves He is jealous for me, love like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the wind, weight of his wind and mercy. Something like that, all right? If y'all, please tell me you were singing along. That was terribly embarrassing. Um, But the reality is, I have always struggled a bit with this song. And the reason is, I think I have begun to understand more and more of my own heart, is that it's not a song declaring my love for God, but it's a song where I have to stop and allow Him to declare His love for me. And if we are honest, I really believe that many of us, when we think about the phrase, God loves me, many of us, if we're honest, struggle we, we might know it conceptually, but personally, personally, it is really hard. It, 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 we struggle at times to, to think, uh, to understand, to, to, to believe, to receive the reality that God, I mean, we know God, He knows me like He knows me, and yet 
right now, he, he loves, God loves me. Dane Ortland in his new book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, which is just, I believe, one, it's an instant classic. I would recommend it to anyone who uh, is looking for a new resource, a new gospel resource. It is just absolutely fantastic, helping us know the heart of Jesus. But I got to this chapter, chapter 21. It's called, He Loved Us Then and He'll Love Us Now. And I promise we're getting back to the scripture, but I wanted to be honest about how much I really believe I need this message today and how much I really believe you need this message today. In this chapter, something resonated so deeply in me. He said this, perhaps as believers today, we know God loves us. We really believe that, but if we were to more closely examine how we actually relate to the Father moment by moment, which reveals our actual theology, whatever we say we believe on paper, many of us tend to believe it is a love that is infected with disappointment. He loves us, but it's a flustered love. We see him looking down on us with paternal affliction, but slightly raised eyebrows. How are they still falling short of so much after all that I've done for them? And we picture him wondering. We picture him wondering on the shoulders of our soul. While our hearts may be saved the shoulders of our soul remain drooped in the presence of God. And once again, he says, it is a result of projecting our own capacities to love onto God. This resonates so deeply with me because I don't know about you, I know myself, and I'm just speaking personally, but I'm asking if you would consider whether or not you need to reflect today in a deeper way on the love of God, one of the realities for me is I know this is true. I know that sometimes it is hard for me to believe and receive that God loves me. He really does love me. He knows me and he loves me. And that love is unconditional. We'll talk about it in a minute, but he loves me. And that I'm not projecting on the God my own capacity to love, but that I'm really leaning in to say, God, show me who you are and show me how you love. Let me understand your capacity to love. And God, may I be one that believes and receives that you do love me on the basis of how you say you love me. And may my identity be today and forever rooted in the reality of how you love. Are you with me? So this morning, what I'm asking is that you lean in and open your heart to God's word so that we might be taught by him the reality of how he loves and that we from this day on might build our identity upon who we are as he says we are and how he loves us. All right? Y'all cool with this? So uh, what I'd like to do this morning is um, I want to begin to walk through the nature of God's love for us, okay? So we're going to be making a list, and uh, convenient for you, I'm really excited about it. I've worked very hard. They all start with you. Actually, I'll start with Un, all right? So I want to help you this morning to know more about the nature of God's love. So we're going to make a list, and the title of this list is God's Love for You Is, all right? And then we're going to begin to make a list together. God's Love for You Is. 
And the first thing I want you to write down on your list is God's love for you, God's love for you is undeniable. God's love for you is undeniable. Undeniable. What we're talking about when we talk about the undeniable love of God is I want you to make a connection between the love of God and the cross of Christ. Okay? Sometimes we uh, in our culture get to be very feelings based with love. But the reality is God's love is different. Yes, it involves a feeling, but it also involves action. His love is displayed perfectly in an action. And if you flip over in your book of Ephesians and you go to chapter 5, in the end of chapter 5, the it's a passage that many of us hear at weddings very often, but there's a, there's a section there that talks about the love that God intends for a man and woman to have with one another in their marriage relationship. But what is often lost about this passage at the end of chapter 5, and I'm not going to study it with you today, but I do encourage you to think about this. What is often lost about that passage is he says basically marriage is, a, is a, meant to be a display of the love that Jesus has for his church, the love that God has for his people. And so while marriage is very imperfect, it's meant to point us to a more beautiful and perfect reality, and that is the love that God has for us. And so if you read the instructions for husbands and wives, you're you're seeing a reflection of the way that God loves and the way that he wants us to love in light of him. But at the end of the passage, what we read is in verse 32, as he begins to explain this relationship of love, he says, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. So what he's saying is, um, there is a mystery to God's love. (laughs) From the very beginning, there has been this sense of what? Like, how could God know me and God love me? And how how could he make this possible? And what the Bible clearly teaches us is that for, 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 for all time, this big question of how God could love, all right, and this thought of, I just don't know, I'm just not sure. No, it now has been fully manifest, right? This mystery has been, is, is now known, it's out in the open. And this mystery refers, the reference to all of this is, is Christ and his church. It's all meant to have led us to this incredible display of love, not just the feeling of God's love, not just the words of God's love, his profession of love, but the action of his love, agape love, which the word agape is the word in Greek there. Agape love, which is a irrevocable love. It's, it's, it's a love that is expressed in action. He says, this is how you know I love you. <laughs> that I came for you. My son, Jesus, came for you. And not just did he come for you, he came to live for you so you might have righteousness. And he came to take your place in the death that you deserve to die because of your sin and rebellion against God. He came and he laid himself down for you. In fact, this is what the Bible teaches us in John chapter 3, verse 16. It's the verse so many of us know, but there's a connection here. For God so loved the world. He's saying, do you want to know how much 
God loved the world. He so loved the world. How do we know? You might be asking today, how, how do we know? I mean, I, I might can wiggle my way around this. How, how could that ever be proven? Here's how. Here's how I loved. That he did what? He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is a connection here between the love that God professes and the actions that he has taken. There's a connection between his love for us and his cross for us. We also see in another place here in 1 John chapter 4, this is another place that there's a direct connection between the love that God professes, the love that he feels, and the actions that he's taken. This is what I'm trying to say. This is an undeniable love. And here's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, this is starting in verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone that does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, if we just stop right there, you might go, well, how do I know that God loves me? How do I know that He is love, that His love is for me? He answers it here in 1 John 4. In this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How do I know it? How do I know it's undeniable? His love has been made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Now listen to this verse. It's one of the verses that I love the most in all the Bible. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Yes, friends, we can sing songs all day. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. But if you want to know true love, it's not that you love God, but the Bible says that He loved us. And then here's the connection again. How do I know that He loves me? And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Bible over and over takes the concept of God's love and connects it to the person of Jesus and more importantly to his working for us, to the cross of Jesus. For that is where his love is displayed. I want to tell you, friends, I've had a lot of people in my life who's told me that they love me. And sometimes, if we're honest, we know there is deep brokenness in our hearts because of the broken love that we've experienced in this world. And very often, we find ourselves in trust issues sometimes when people tell us that they love us if there's brokenness in love relationships in the past. Because often the words of other people don't match their actions. And many of us have been told by others, I love you, I love you, I love you. And yet their life, their actions toward us has felt anything or been anything like true love. And what I'm saying is you've got to understand your background as you come into hearing God say, I love you, that, that does affect us. But there is such a beautiful reality in the gospel because it's not just the words of God that we hear, but we see the actions of God in all of history. 
We can look to his love, not just professed, but his love displayed. And we can do that by looking to Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection from the grave. And we can say undeniably as we look at the manifestation of God among us, he really does love me. And I'm telling you, you can trust today. You can trust his love for you by looking at the cross. Number two, if you look secondarily, God's love for you is, all right, we're going to be adding to this list. So God's love for you is, yes, number one, undeniable, is undeniable. But number two is this, it is unconditional. God's love for you is unconditional. This is Perhaps, I actually thought about just naming this identity statement, um, we are loved unconditionally. (laughs) Because I really believe that this is one of the most, just like I read uh, from the, the book here, this is one of the things we struggle with the most. One of the reasons we struggle to receive God's love is yes, maybe Perhaps it's we, we need to trust God's words, and we do that by looking to the cross and his actions. But another thing is we need to stop attaching it to our performance for God. One of the things I think that we, we struggle with so much is understanding that his love for me is not conditioned on anything that I do for him. It's just not. It's, it's wholly detached. His love for me is on the basis of grace, okay? Grace. It is wholly based on grace. Love detached from anything that I add to it or could take away from it. Love that is given and keeps being given and given and given on the basis of grace, completely outside of me, not conditioned. This is hard to understand. The Scripture teaches this. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. All right? So He saved us. Jesus appeared and He came to save. Jesus is a Savior. He's a forgiver. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. Now, the question that I want you to ask here is why? Okay? Why is it that our Savior appeared? Why is it that He saves us? Ask the Scripture this question. Ask God. It's His Word. Okay? Well, first of all, we read, if we keep reading there, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So, in other words, He says, uh, Jesus saves Jesus cares, Jesus restores, Jesus comes for you. But just to make sure you understand, if you start going, why is this? It is not because of anything that you've done. You don't add anything to his equation and his choice to love you. You don't add to it it in any way. It is not because of anything that you've done. Wholly apart from you. What, What is it then? Here it is at the beginning. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. It is based in His character, not yours. His choice, not yours. His work, not yours. His performance, not yours. His record of righteousness, not yours. It is not based in you. 
The motivation of his love is not based in anything that you add to him. It is based in him because of his goodness and his loving kindness our Savior appeared. That's why. The answer to why is is, is because it's all about him. It's all about him. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I'm going to ask that you turn there if you will. I know we're in Ephesians, but I want you to turn over to the book of Romans, uh, just a few books prior. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I want to look at verses 6 through 11 because I believe that uh, this passage of Scripture has so much to teach you if you are willing to listen. It brings the opportunity to experience true freedom as we understand more of God's love. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But listen to this. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now I want to go back to this, and I just want to point out, three different times Paul says to us, I want you to know something about your God. His love for you is not conditioned on you. Three different times. He starts by saying, for a while we were still weak. He goes, hey, um, do you remember when God made the choice to love you? Do you remember when he came for you? Do you remember when he died for you? Uh, You were weak. Opposite of strong. Like you weren't adding anything to the equation here. Okay? While we were still weak. That's the first place. Secondly, he says here, while we were still sinners, You want to know how God shows his love for us? You want to know the nature of God's love? God's love came to you while you were still a sinner, while you were still in sin. In other words, it had nothing to do with you cleaning yourself up, with you being worthy enough uh, to to, to merit his love, with you having a a good day of obedience. Sometimes our, our, our our feeling and our willingness to believe and receive the love of God is attached to feeling strong for Him or is attached to whether or not today I've done enough for Him or I, I feel uh, clean and conscious before Him or, or worthy of His love. And, and Paul says, second time here, no, do you know when Jesus died? <laughs> do you know when His love was given? It was while you were still a sinner. Picture yourself, you were the one nailing him on the tree, scoffing at him in rebellion against him. That's you. And it's God there for you saying, Father, forgive them. When we were at our worst, 
God's love was given in full. While we were still weak, while we were still a sinner, third, he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. You were an enemy at the point of your highest rebellion against God. At the point where you spurned him and spat upon him and said, screw you. Whether it was with your words or with the actions of your life and to go your own direction, knowing the truth about God, you suppressed the truth and chose to serve created things rather than creator. All of us have done that, Romans 1 says. And it was in the height of our rebellion that God chose to love us. Now I want to tell you, if you can begin to understand I mean, I don't know for you, when was the weakest time you've ever felt in your life? What was the most sinful choice you have ever made? What was the darkest day in your relationship with God? What was the moment of the height of your rebellion? Romans 5 teaches us that it was at this moment, it was on this day, it was while you were in that state that God chose to love you. And what Romans 5 is teaching us, what God is trying to say to us as friends, don't you understand that my love, God's love is not conditioned on you. It is all about Him. Grace, 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 a gift, a gift of God to be received, not conditioned, all based all based on grace. The gospel is this, Tim Keller says. I quote it at almost every wedding that I ever officiate. The gospel says this, that right now I am more broken and flawed than I ever imagined. But at the same time, right now in this moment, in Christ, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared to hope. I am more broken and flawed than I ever believed. But right now, at the same time, I am more loved and accepted than I have ever dared to hope. And I'm telling you, friends, if you could begin to understand that God's love is unconditional, you will have the opportunity to have a door opened to just unfathomable joy. (laughs) Because people don't love like this. Every relationship that you've ever been in in this world, people don't love like this. We don't know love like this, and yet our hearts long to know love like this. We live in these, this constant tension of like, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can let myself be fully known because if I let myself be fully known, then they're surely not going to love me. Or once we're already fully known, when anybody chooses to reject us in any way, we go, see, you know, it's just not possible for, for people to love me unconditionally. And, and we, we just live in this constant mess. And the reality is that people are always going to fail us. Love is always conditional in in ways, uh, even the most uh, pure attempts of human love in this earth because it's broken, it's marred by sin. But the reality is God's love is not like that. 
God knows you completely. He knows you're more broken and flawed than you ever dared to believe. He knows you and your brokenness even more than you do. And yet at the same time, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than you could ever dare to hope. This is the beauty of the gospel, unconditional love. Amen? Do you believe? Do you receive? There is nothing. This is how I want you to live every day. I don't know if anybody can can really accept this, but this is the reality of the gospel. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Did you know that? There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. That's going to be frustrating for some of you. <laughs> That's a frustrating thing for those who are achievers, who, like, who are people pleasers, who, who want to do more for God. But God's love is such that there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And look at this. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And that's going to be frustrating for others. Because <laughs> we constantly live in disappointment or discouragement all based on our own, our own day-to-day performances so often. But the reality is God's love is not conditioned on the more we can do or the less we can do. It is conditioned on his heart and his action for us. Praise the Lord. So number one, God's love is undeniable. Number two, God's love is unconditional. Number three, God's love is unlimited. God's love is unlimited. God's love is unlimited. If you've got your Bible, go back to Uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, what I would love is for you to turn over to chapter 3. Turn over to chapter 3. And I want to look there at verses 14 and 19. The Scripture teaches this. Uh, Paul goes on after this opening in love. He's predestined for his adoption, and he continues to write to the church of Ephesus. But one point he says this about how he's praying for the church. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then he says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Paul says, I I just wish I am just praying with all of my heart. I get on my knees before God and I pray, oh God, if there's one thing I want for the church, I want them to know that they are loved. I want them to know, he says here, the breath and the length and the height and the depths. I, I want them to know how amazing your love is, how full it is, how limitless it is, how unfathomable it is. I want them to know, God, that truly love like a hurricane. I am a tree. I am bent beneath the weight of your wind and mercy. If your love is an ocean, the song says, we're all sinking. Every time I go to the ocean and I just see those waves just pouring in and pouring in and pouring in the endless nature of it, I'm always reminded God's love for me is like this. God's love 
is an ocean. And it just keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming. And that's why I want you to write down this characteristic of unlimited. It is unlimited. Because I think so many of us in our broken human relationships of the past have probably felt like there's a limit to how much someone is willing to love you. They'll only put up with your mess for so long. (laughs) They might know you and love you for a time, but there's a limit. Seems like there's a limit to everyone, a limit to everyone's love, everyone's capacity to love me. And God is not limited by a capacity to love you, friend. He's not. He loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and his love is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. There is, in fact, no limit to his love. And what Paul says is, I just, I'm praying, and I'm telling you this morning, I'm praying, oh, would you Would you just know more of how big and unlimited God's love is for you? Would you you be filled to the fullness of God like like Paul prays there in Ephesians? I'm telling you, I've been a Christian a long time, but I really can honestly say that I am continuing to learn more and more and more about the love of Jesus every day. And those who have walked with the Lord a long time, I've had the opportunity to sit by many people and their dying breaths who have walked with the Lord for a long time. And I have never heard anyone tell me, no matter how long they've walked with God, that they feel like they've gotten to a point where they finally figured it out. There's just this sense of, of he, we grow and we grow and we grow and we grow in our understanding of the love of God. And only when we see Him face to face do I think we'll be able to fully understand. But right now, today, friends, I'm telling you, don't limit. Don't put a limit on God's love because there is no limit on God's love. His love will never run dry. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Fourth on the list for God's love is this. Starts with you again. Aren't you excited? Unfailing. Unfailing. So we've got his love is undeniable, it's unconditional, it's unlimited, and fourth, we've got it's unfailing. Unfailing. If you've got your Bible again, go flip back over to Romans, if you don't mind. And I would like for you to turn to chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look there uh, at the end of Romans. Uh, that passage in Romans chapter 8. I want to focus on verse 37, but um, if you look there at verse 35, before you get to verse 37, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, Paul is addressing this common idea that there there could come a time in my life, I might have a fear in me that there could come a time in my life where something might separate me from the love of God. Maybe it's a difficult situation. Maybe it's some enemy coming against me. Maybe it's something coming within me. Uh, Maybe it is just a time of suffering, uh, unimaginable maybe even death itself. Is there coming a time, do I have to fear that there's coming a time that I might end up being separated from the love of God? Is there ever a time, even death itself? 
And the resounding answer to this Paul gives in verse 37 because he says, no, no. In other words, God's love is unfailing. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul says, he's basically naming everything in a You go through your head. You might with human relationships be able to, to say, yeah, there's coming a time with this or that, that would do it in. I know right now with my boyfriend, if this or this happened, that would do it in. Or I know with my marriage, if this or this happened, that would do it in. Or maybe even death itself, you feel like ends human relationships of love. But God's not, love is not like human love. Don't put our capacity onto his capacity and the nature of our love or others' love on the nature of his love. His love never fails. And anything that you could ever think of or imagine that could happen to you or come against you or come within you, there is nothing Nothing, nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? His love is unfailing. His love is unfailing. He's unfailing. He is unfailing. He is unfailing. His love is unstoppable. It's inseparable. He loves you and his love never fails. First Corinthians chapter 13, another passage we read a lot at weddings says, love never fails. And if 1 John 4 is true, God is love, then we can say God never fails. God's love never fails. Fifth and finally on our list, not only is God's love undeniable, not only is it unconditional, not only is it unlimited, not only is it unfailing, but friends, His love is unending. His love is unending. And this was alluded to in the passage that we just read, but I just want to give a quick verse for this in case there's any confusion about how long God's love will last and will it continue forever. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, God proclaims to the people of Israel, and we know that this is fulfilled in Christ, and it's for all of us who are in relationship with Jesus. God says to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore I will continue my faithfulness to you. And friends, I just got to tell you, I just got to tell you, God's love is an everlasting love. It is a forever love. There are a lot of people who get married, and sadly, even though they make a covenant with their husband or their wife, and they put that ring on the finger, and they say, to have and to hold till death do us part, right? They make a covenant for everlasting love. So often what we know is this ring gets taken off, gets thrown in the trash. The covenant, even of the most sacred of loves that God intends for us, and if that's you, I'm, I don't want to make light of the situation. I am sensitive and broken, and God loves you and is compassionate towards you in that but what I'm saying is even among the most sacred, what should be a most sacred loves in our human relationships and that covenant is made, we can sometimes think, well, that may come to an end. <laughs> that may not be a true everlasting love. But I got to tell you, friends, Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5 compares himself to a groom, compares us to a bride. 
And the picture is that He loves us and He chooses us and He puts His ring upon us. And what He's saying to us is, I will love you with an everlasting love. And that covenant that I make with you will never end. It will never, ever, 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 ever end. I will continue my faithfulness to you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I will always love you. And some of us can receive God's love in the past, but in the present we wonder, and in the future we wonder. And that's why Paul says, look, if you know that Christ died for you when you were sinners, how much more right now are you being reconciled to Him? How much more will you be saved by His life? How much more can you feel assured today that He loves you? And in the future, as you think about forever, you can be sure that He will always love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. His love, friends, will you all say these with me? God's love for you is undeniable, unconditional, unlimited, unfailing, and unending the nature of God's love. Now, what do we do in response? I want to give you a list of things that, in, in closing, and I'll have to make these brief because I uh, have spent a lot of time wanting to point your attention to who God is and how He loves because I really believe that so much of our love is just misinformed. Our understanding of God's love is just misinformed. And how is it that we can, can learn to live loved by God if, if our understanding of how He loves us is so based on how others love us or this world talks about love rather than based on who He is and how He says He loves? We need to focus on these things. But I want to give you some pointers, all right? I want to give you a few pointers of how to live loved by God, all right? There's five things, and I want you to just go ahead and write all these down because I'm going to fly through them uh, really quick. There's five ways that I really believe that we can learn to build our identity as the loved ones of God, all right? God loves me. We talked about that a second ago. God loves me. And I want you to, to learn to live every day loved by God. God loves me. Now, how do you do that? Being rooted, number one. Being grounded, number two. Delighting, number three. Resting, number four. And then overflowing, number five. Being rooted, being grounded, delighting, resting, and overflowing. I want to run through these uh, really quick with you. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through 19, when we talk about being rooted, what I'm talking about is having a transformed self-image. Having a transformed self-image. In that passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, you remember it says that you being rooted, being rooted in love, being rooted in love. I, I got to be honest with you. When I think about myself, I don't often think about myself as loved by God very often. That's hard for me. Oh, how He loves me. The first thing you think about yourself, what is it? And the question I'm asking is, is it that you're loved by God? Is your self-image, does your self-image begin here? Does your first thought of who you are, uh, is it that you are loved, you are loved, loved, loved by God? It should be. 
And so one of the things that I really believe we have the opportunity to do is to be transformed in our image of ourselves that the first thing that we are willing to believe and receive about ourselves is that we are loved by God. Now I have biblical proof for how this is how we should think. Because I think in my mind, one of the apostles that I love the most, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, the, the, the 12, is the, is the apostle John. And in his gospel, we have the first lesson perhaps of how to have a right Christian identity. Because over and over and over in the apostle, I'm quoting here John chapter 13, verse 23. He says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Every time John wants to refer to himself pretty much in the gospel of John, what he does is he inserts this phrase, the disciple who Jesus loved. He does it in chapter 13. He does it again in chapter 19, verse 26, chapter 20, verse 2, chapter 21, verse 7, chapter 21, verse 20. Over and over and over, as John thinks about himself and talks about himself, what he thinks is and what he talks about is, I am one who Jesus loves. I am one who Jesus loves. I'm a disciple who Jesus loves. I can't get over the fact I am one who Jesus loves. So the first thing that I'm saying is a response to living loved by God is being rooted being rooted with your identity transformed. Can you think about yourself first? I am a disciple who Jesus loves. Number two, being grounded. Being grounded. Abiding, abiding in constant love. Abiding in constant love. If you go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, what you see is Paul says to the church of Ephesus, not only being rooted, but being grounded in love. That, that picture is one of abiding like Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, making that your dwelling place. Not just having your identity there, but every single day, that being the fountain that you drink from. Making that your source of satisfaction, your source of sufficiency, your source of purpose like we talk about in our measure gospel centrality. Drawing from that well of, of God's love. Now, this is so important because we constantly compete with a false narrative in our heads and in our hearts. Religion versus the gospel. Some of you may not be able to read this at home. Can you read this? Probably not. I'm sorry if you can't. This comes from the resource Gospel and Life from Tim Keller, but he contrasts a religious view versus a gospel view. In a religious view, this is what happens. My self-view swings between two poles. If and when I'm living up to my standards, I feel confident, but then I'm prone to be proud and unsympathetic to failing people. If I'm, when I'm not living up to standards, I feel humble, but not confident. I feel like a failure. That's not living in light of God's love. But the gospel comes in and says this, my self-view is not based on my moral achievement. In Christ, I'm saying simultaneously, at peccator, simultaneously sinful and lost, yet accepted in Christ. I am simultaneously sinful and lost, yet accepted in Christ. It goes back to where we were speaking to you earlier. I'm so bad that he had to die for me, but I'm so loved that he was glad to die for me. And this leads me to deep humility and confidence at the same time. The question I'm asking you is, do, are you grounded in God's love? This is a, has to be an operational thing in your heart every single day. Are you grounded in God's love? Another non-gospel view is when I'm criticized, I am furious or devastated because it's critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. 
But that's not the gospel. The gospel comes in and says, when I'm criticized, I struggle, but it's not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. For my identity is not built on my record or my performance, but rather on God's love for me in Christ. I could go on and talk about this all day long, but what I'm trying to speak to here is that when we understand more of God's love, it changes not only our self-identity, but it changes, it transforms the way that we live every single day, abiding in God's love, His love, the fountain place, the modus operandus, the primary mode of operation for our hearts. What controls our hearts is the love of God. And it's got to be operational daily. Number three, we talked about uh, needing to delight deep joy, deep joy in unfathomable love, deep joy in unfathomable love. This is what Ephesians 3 speaks to when he says he's praying that prayer and he wants us to know, you know, how unlimited God's love is, but then he prays, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, I want you every single day to, 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 to go to God and say, oh God, would you fill me with your love? I want to drink from the fountain that never runs dry. I want to experience your love in my heart. And in Ephesians chapter 5, just a few chapters later, right before the husbands and wives passage, he says, don't get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, he's saying, you got to make a choice of what's going to control your heart, where you're going to get joy from. Some people are out there looking for joy and alcohol or looking for joy and, and relationships of this world, looking for joy and money or status or whatever it is. But I'm telling you, Paul's saying to you, don't be filled with the things of this world. Rather, be filled with the fullness of God until your heart is so full that you sing, I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. How he loves me. So that is the song. That's the song of the heart of the redeemed, being so filled with the unfathomable love of God that it moves you to joy. And like Ephesians 1, he says, in love he predestined for adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, it just moves out into this place of going, ah, isn't he wonderful? That's it. Delight. Delight. Number four, rest. Number four, rest. Thanks for hanging with me. Rest. In light of God's love, dispelling doubts, fears, anxiety, worry, anger, and bitterness, resting, learning to rest in God's love. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, the life that I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just before he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, he's saying, I'm done. You know, so much of my frustration, my discontentment, my anxiety, uh, you name it, so much in life has been a search for this love, and I'm done with that. A new me is living, and now I'm resting. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. 
The, the picture is, I'm, I am fixed. I am fixed upon the love of God, and I'm resting. I'm just choosing to rest in light of his love. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, talks about how we can even rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Even in the midst of the most difficult times of our life, the most restless times that you would think, right? No, but he says even in the midst of these difficult times, we can know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Why? Why does hope not disappoint? It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. In other words, in the midst of the greatest sorrows and the greatest sufferings, we have the opportunity to go to God, and when we go to God, we can rest because of His love. Last but not least, overflow. Overflow. Grateful, obedient heart of love. 1 John chapter 4 that we looked at earlier proclaims to us this. Chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And one of the realities in our lives is that, you see, the way, the way for us to live in obedience to God is not out of just, oh, I've got to do it, you know, you know, all this stuff God wants. No. Our whole life with God now is a response to his loving us. Jesus wants your heart of love. This is the greatest commandment, that you might love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others as you love yourself. How do you do that? The starting place is not trying to do that. The starting place is understanding how he has done that for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And when you really understand it, believe it, and receive it, and experience it, you will naturally overflow in love for him and wanting to love others like he has loved you. So this morning, as we close, and our worship team comes, and we transition to our time of response, here's what I want to ask you. Do you know? (laughs) Do you know that God loves you? Like this phrase here, Jesus loves me. Like, do you know that? As we sing the song, I've asked our worship team to sing today the song that I have been trying my hardest uh, in failed attempts, but trying to sing throughout the sermon. He loves us, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. And what I'm wondering today, what I'm wondering today is do you know that? Do you believe that? Can you receive that? Maybe today as we end up in our time of response, uh, maybe you just need to reach out to somebody. The first step is just accepting his love. Choosing to accept his love. For the first time, perhaps, maybe today, you have never, ever accepted his love. And today is an opportunity for you to recognize your brokenness and your sinfulness, your desperate need for him. But also at this moment, his choice to love and to accept and to work for you so that you might have the opportunity to be reconciled with him. It's not on the basis of what you have done or will ever do. It's on the basis of his love. And maybe today, maybe today for the first time, you need to cry out, oh God, God, I I believe you. I believe you. I, I acknowledge my need, but I also believe your love. 
I believe, Jesus, that you came to seek and to save the lost, and that means me, and I believe you know me, and I believe you love me, and I believe that what you have done is enough for me. So I'm choosing to put my faith in you. Maybe today is that day. You can reach out to anybody during this time of response by just texting ICC Pray to 97,000, the directions there on your screen. Maybe today you just need to reach out and just say, I, I want to know how to have a relationship with God. But for the rest of us, even those who are, have already accepted God's love at one time but now need to live in light of God's love and to build our identity upon it, I just pray today that you will believe and receive and understand and live in light of this most profound truth of the Scripture, that he loves you and that you might see yourself like John as one who Jesus loves. Father, I pray today that you would bless this time of response by your Holy Spirit, that there would be people all over our community, all over our country perhaps, and even among the nations even right now, Lord, that would be calling out to you and just thanking you and just allowing your love to wash over them, that they might believe and receive who you are and what you have done and what you say, and Lord, that our identity might be built upon you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And I pray now in this time of response that your Holy Spirit be working in hearts and lives to bring us closer to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.